Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice in My Mind. You and I have talked. Oh goodness. I mean, this goes back before the before the podcast, going back to even before we started thinking about playing role playing. It goes back to the days when probably you were you still kept your Star Wars, your D6, your West End game around where we talked about how we loved to read yeah. RPG materials as like resource and and Mm -hmm. and it's funny because you're the one that introduced me to they weren't rpg books but they were the technical manuals for ds9 yes and for the enterprise d yep and Um, and the the tos yes uh, tech manual where it all started and i and i you had them already i ordered them Mm -hmm. and bought them way back at our favorite bookstore um, autobahn court books yep in the mid 90s in bayside wisconsin beautiful um, but I picked up a couple, I picked up my copy of West End Games, uh, Star Wars, the role-playing game at that same bookstore around the same time. Well, because we had talked about potentially mm-hmm. at some point being mm-hmm. playing, but, um, I was working, you were busy in college. There wasn't time for it. No, no. The more we've played yep. and the more we've done this podcast, the more we realize that, and <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Boy, well, I can't edit that out. Um, I uh, um, a lot of times I buy my material not expecting for us to play it, but because I love to read the material. Clearly, I've I've seen your yes. bookshelf, but 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 truly, you do. Yeah. We both do. I mean, you yeah. just recently picked up because, um, and we'll talk more about this in the future. We have yep. been actually truly playing Star Trek Adventures. Actually playing playing it jason is game mastering it's a duet environment yep. it's working really it's well so fun and and there's a little there's a, it's a unique environment because i think when i mentioned to you how i kind of wanted to position my character yeah. and yeah you were surprised at the direction i was going to go mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. which was more in a science oriented science yes. direction and you just picked up the sciences division book i did and it's... as as much to read it as to to oh yeah I told you it it's knowing that I could use it as a resource in our game was that final push of justification for me mm-hmm. to to spend the money though it's not an expensive and it's not an expensive source book at all um but it's and it's I'm looking at it because it's on my shelf I flipped through it I haven't been back to it um got a little more writing tomorrow morning and then I'll I'm glad you brought this up because I think this week I'll start to read through it because it's just interesting to read so, even and, if it doesn't show up in the game well and and uh another one that i think we both agree has been lit for us is utopia planitia oh yeah um yeah. and and for me um green ronin's the expanse rpg um yep and i would add to that we talked about this before but it's been some time the going back to west end and the d6 system um, the original Star Wars West End Games Game Mastery Guide, yep. which I still think is one of the best ever written. It's so reading it is like almost moving through scenes in a Star Wars film, right? Original trilogy. And then you know what I think about Worlds of Android. Yeah, and even pure literature. Um, the first edition, you picked up the first edition D D 
reprint a D and D after you right? did. Yeah. After yeah you the game master guide there. Yep. That was another one. Yep. And that one's a very busy book, but it is still great resource. Now, why are we talking about this? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So long wraparound is we've always been fans of, and we've used the kind of the phrase RPG is lit mm-hmm. RPG as literature, meaning, um, using RPG material and sitting down and reading it like you would fiction, nonfiction, whatever, not necessarily intending to play. Right. And a lot of my material, and there is a lot, yes, um, (laughs) was done with that intent. Um, Because I love reading the mechanics, the history, people. I mean, I've talked about RuneQuest and and the history of that. Burning Wheel. Burning Wheel. Right. Oh, Burning you, Wheel. You, I, you, I mean, you let's know? be honest. You never really were interested, not primarily in playing that. This no. was about reading it, being immersed in it. And and I'll be honest with you. This sounds almost a little... You and I are a big fan, even in the days of PDFs and Kindles and everything, which I do love. Yeah. But we're a big fan of the printed book. Yeah, still am. Big fan. Um, you know, which is why, even though um, I have... You know, I got the PDFs for the Star Trek books with the purchase of the book. I still use the book. Right. Primarily. Um, Same thing with when you order from Green Ronin. Um, Oh, yeah. And not only is do I find reading it interesting, but I also look at it as what is the aesthetic aesthetic? And we've talked about it of the material. And what drew my eyes to Burning Wheel as an example is the way they. Yep. It's just elegant. It's very elegant yeah. in terms of how they presented it and how they've written the material. Mm-hmm. So this is something we've talked about. And after we talked with um, uh, Jim Johnson, he yeah. made a point when we were talking offline, he's like, well, that would be an interesting topic. And it was literally kind of the light bulb uh, went off for both of us. Yeah. The, the spark we needed him, him mentioning that it was the spark we needed to actually act on something that we've been talking about doing for yeah. a while. Cause honestly, I mean, you and I have, have talked about this for so long, as you said, and, and as, as we said to Jim, it's like, well, we, we honestly thought, I mean, this sounds really stupid in retrospect, but I think you and I really thought that this is, this is not the norm. And, you know, we, we know we've talked to people uh, in p- previous interviews. We've seen just a little, truly just a little bit online about this notion of, of RPGs as literature. And we want to be careful here because there is this, this uh, area called lit RPG. And sometimes people mean that like we do, like reading RPGs as literature. Sometimes people mean it as just a different take on RPGs, like right, mm-hmm. sense and sensibility with dice, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about RPGs as literature. But for the longest time, you and I thought, well, this is probably not a mainstream kind of thing. But it turns out there are a lot of people who are talking yeah. about this, and there's a lot. And so um, we both started doing our research um, to find some folks that would love to come on and talk about this, or who, who could have be ex- cheaply bribed. Let's call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. But and. and and we found we found a couple of names. The first one that came up was for me, and I'm and, and yep. it was Emily Care Boss. Yeah, and we we've we've known about Emily for quite a while. Yep. Um, we just never thought we'd invite her because she would say yes to us. Right. Um, and it's but, also hard to tell with a lot of people out there, a lot of prominent people and accomplished people in the RPG and adjacent arenas that 
they are thinking about this because it's not right rpgs as literature it's not something that many people are talking about writing about posting about ignoring that irony and and so it's been hard to find even just to identify people who might be in it much less willing to talk about it yeah and people who write the material are yeah. they writing it with that idea or right, are they writing right. it with a diff in a different mindset or for a different reason yeah um so emily was was very gracious enough to join us um she loved the idea in fact that's one of the first things she mentioned when we when we all connected before yeah. we hit the record yeah button, yeah was this idea of talking about it um and as we as we have seen with with so many of our guests we could have kept talking well past the scheduled time in fact we we did keep her too late but we'll yeah. correct that by having her back yes yes yeah. um so it was it was it was really great conversation it was one of those where after the conversation jason we were both honest and we were like well i think we need to pause before we record some of our 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 discussion and analysis because we need to kind of digest the conversation because it was that i mean you called me out during yeah. the interview you're like i think he's having a moment yes. of, of of like you can see him processing but yeah. it was just so darn interesting and we both we both get into that i mean how often how often does one encounter something that's truly novel no pun intended and mm -hmm. and try to you know integrate that into your understanding of this stuff so i think i think we should hop on over yeah i you know we'll have all the information for her blackgreengames.com yep um she's obviously an accomplished writer she has a very interesting background oh, and career yeah. outside of this what you'll hear us talk yeah, about we'll get it. into it yeah and after the after the interview we'll we'll talk a bit more about this Emily Kerboss is an independent role-playing game designer, publisher, and conservationist, living on land of the Wabanaki Dawnland Confederacy in western Massachusetts of the United States. Emily's designs include Breaking the Ice, Shooting the Moon, and Under My Skin, which won the Player's Choice Auto Award at Festival in 2009. These games were published in a single-volume compendium with additional hacks and mods as the Romance Trilogy in 2016 and earned a nomination for the Diana Jones Award for Excellence in Gaming in 2017. An early participant at the Forge Forums and a proponent of independent publishing, Emily founded JiffyCon in 2006, a regional role-playing game convention showcasing independent and small press games. Emily, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Um, we both do. We we want to talk about your as a writer, as an RPG writer, and there's so much more. So um, thank you so much again for for taking the time with us this evening. Appreciate being here. I'm looking forward to talking about games and literature and the world and whatever. So how did you just to I'm gonna I'm gonna toss out the the the, the main question to start is, is how did you end up getting into the realm of writing uh, writing games and writing about games as well? Not only do you design them, but you write about games as well, be even beyond that. So let's see, I think it sort of starts together. I started playing games in college. I didn't play when I was younger. A lot of people start like in their teenage years. And I did a lot of having a box and reading it and then never playing. Um, so for me, it came a little later and I fell in with some friends who 
um, were on the internets early in the years <laughs> of 1990s. And oh, oh early. Yeah, really yeah. freaking early with the, you know, like oh. having to plug in through the phone and being loud and having one phone line. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's, that's Jason. And I oh, yeah. The same way, yeah. Awesome. yeah. And um, we had a big household of a whole mess of us that piled in and lived together during college. So we could like, you know, pay almost nothing to live there. Nice. And um, and they were role playing game geeks. They had already like hacked a gay you know hacked several systems together and then made their own world and had been playing for several years and so they invited me in and and it was like a a playground because I as a kid was a total geek and always had a book always had my nose buried in a book and just loved fantastic worlds I love sci-fi I love fantasy Mm -hmm. and and um so it was awesome to be able to play in a world with other people how perfect is that and they were involved several of them were involved in a news group that's the right phrase I'm remembering correctly oh yeah i remember <laughs> <laughs> um dedicated to talking about fantasy role-playing games um wow. and it was really really fascinating i loved it i was like oh my god they're like talking about how it works and what you do and and it was really at that particular group was of people talking about things was very interested in really interesting good robust ways to play robust ways to run a game Mm -hmm. and deal with the world and deal with the issues that come up between players and gms and everything like that and um uh that conversation morphed a little and started again in the early 2000s on a place called the forge and that conversation there was a sort of a new community that really had paid attention to and some had participated in the earlier conversations but this conversation was focused more on design with the intent to publish which is a different conversation interesting mm-hmm. so what what makes that different as a conversation well you know um it what came to my mind actually was something later for me when i uh got interested in live action play and learned about how uh, the differences between playing at a table and playing live with people. And I got all excited about improv because I was like, improv must be like this. Let's do that. Oh. Oh, but the difference between improv and role-playing, making analogies here, you have to forgive me, um, yeah. is that you're, you're playing for each other when you're playing a role-playing game. Yeah. And you're playing for an audience when you're playing uh, when you're doing improv, improv. Right, they right. call it playing, even though it's theater, playing, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. I'm not an actor. Um, so looking back at design for play and design for publication, again, yeah. it's that shift. Where who is your audience? Yeah. And there's an external audience that you're looking at. And, you know, on The Forge, we were like little punks, you know, like 20 people would buy our game. So it wasn't like we were, you know, <laughs> looking at huge audiences. But I uh, know some games did went on and did quite well. Um, Vincent and Meg Baker have done amazing things with um, the Apocalypse World. And there's many, many, many games that are based on that yeah. system. So there's been a lot of great successes from yeah. those pretty right. small humble roots. Well, and that's sp- where it started for me. Speaking of humility, you, I mean, now correct me if I'm wrong here, you weren't just like there for the early forge you're a founding member am i i'm 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 like early i guess i'm early 
I think, I, sure, yeah, that, say that. I'm a founding member. Um, <laughs> I was involved. I was deep. I stuck my arm in yeah. way and I like <laughs> rolled all in it and got it up in my hair. Um, so, I, and I, I did start at the, the early days. So I guess I am a founding mm-hmm. member, whatever that means. But, um, uh, you know, and it didn't work for everybody. You know, it like bounced some people off and it was very mm-hmm. white. And, you know, it was yeah. like a lot of spaces welcoming or not welcoming depending on who you were Mm -hmm. and i felt grateful to have found people that i connected with and i really really got a lot out of it but recognized that there are limitations to everything um but but what some of the things that were great about the things that were there were that we really were devoted to helping each other and there was a lot of feeling of reciprocity and honest reaching out to one another and helping each other and playing each other's games and you know, like working together to be able to go to cons, which none of us could have afforded alone. And yeah. mm-hmm. so that that made a huge difference. Having that community that we met through online spaces allowed many of us to access, um, you know, things that we never would have otherwise. That's cool. You, as you, as you were out on the forge and you were starting to do this, this games, the, the game development and all that, um, you know, if you don't mind, how did, you know, like you said, you always had a book in your hand, very similar to, to Jason and I as well. We were the same way. Um, how did your experience and, you know, as a fan of literature and as a reader and all that kind of play into what kind of games you wanted to develop? Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Going back to that group of friends I played games with in college, um, there was a certain level of world that they were indulging in and engaging in that felt a lot like, you know, fantasy or mm-hmm. science fiction series that I had read. Um, one of my friends, brilliant person, had done this genealogy of all the mages. We were, we were using our Smaka or Magica, whatever, um, as the system or one of the systems that was squidged together. And so that person had written this genealogy of the mages all the way back to founding in this original world that they created, wow. which is, you know, kind of evokes Tolkien with all his, yeah, you know, the, absolutely. The, these elves and those elves and dwarves and everything. And, and I loved that. I was like, oh, this is the good stuff. You know, we're reading the appendices here and we're living in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> did you, did you, um, you know, as you're doing your game design and, and being out there, um, did you kind of gravitate towards certain types of genres or certain types of gameplay or, you know, it, you, you have a broad swath, I'm you know, just based off of, you know, everything that you've written and everything like that. I'm just curious, kind of as you kind of developed as a game designer, did you kind of feel like you were steering yourself in a direction or um, were you trying to just kind of mix around or? I really love to try anything. I really, really love to have a lot of experiences. And uh, I think it really helps you have new ways of looking at the world and mm-hmm. creating. But for myself, I really um, I really wanted to have strong emotional experiences. I loved games that I felt that like, you know, mm-hmm. like me in the mm-hmm. gut and um, left me lying bleeding in the gutter. <laughs> crying um <laughs> and uh and i also loved 
you know, like it works for me when I feel the character, whatever mm-hmm. that means mm-hmm. that works for me, you know? And, um, uh, so I was definitely an advocate of playing games that allowed you to enter into them and that weren't about surface, but that allowed you on whatever way to, to get deeper in. Mm-hmm. So I think I've always loved games that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is allowing the games to be about things that aren't fun per se, um, but that are more serious mm-hmm. or harder or more emotional um, that give you a sort of a, an, ex, uh, an experience that is not just, not just angsty because your, your favorite horse got killed mm-hmm. as you went into battle. That's a, that's a terrible thing. That's, that sucks. I've had that happen in game and it's bad, but there's other things you can be sad about that are like, you know, and this, I feel like gets a little bit to the thinking about games as literature or narrative experience, because there's so many different things that one loves to watch in a film. One loves to read in a book. Why shouldn't you do the same with role-playing games? Why shouldn't you want to have a broad experience? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's always been what's interested me. You you segued awesome there because because one of the things we talked about just before yeah. we hit the record button is this idea as RPGs and and gaming as literature or within the realm of literature, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that um, Jason and I have a passion for and we've mm-hmm. talked about here and there, um, and you kind of talked about it even with you know talking about like in effect what you were exactly talking about this history of mages the appendix stuff that's the stuff you aren't you aren't gaming that you're reading that and you're yeah. reading the fantasy of others that you could in fact then apply if you wanted to mm-hmm. in a gaming environment did that also this idea of and maybe i'm overlapping on the prior question a bit um did that also kind of drive your kind of development as a writer development as a gaming writer and so on yeah, I definitely, I mean, I'm not trained as a writer in any way. I don't know why I did what I did. I just did it. It seemed fun. Um, you know, I, my background is in social thought and political economy. That was my undergraduate major, whatever that is. And well, so fiction. I, no, just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's all games. Um, and then I went into the environmental fields and I'm a forester yeah. and a conservationist now. But I, I guess it's because... I read ravenously as a child and I've always loved literature and I've always loved fiction just as like, as like breathing, you know, like Mm -hmm. I wasn't studying it per se, but I was living it. And, um, and as an adult, I definitely find that that helps me write because there's all this experience that I have of worlds and words that just comes out through my fingers when I'm lucky. Um, (laughs) But for writing games, I did actually, um, for my first like actual game that I wrote and published, which yeah. I tried to keep real small and then no mushrooms, um, was breaking the ice and it was a game for two players and it's, you play two people going on their first three dates and you see if it works out or not. Hey. Um, and I, um, when I started writing it, I was like, oh, okay, we're making these characters and they're going to go on three dates. And I sat down with a friend and I was like, okay, let's make characters. And he like looked at me blankly and was like, what the, what do you want me to do now, Emily? How do I make a character for this game? What, you know? And, and so I set the pen down I said, okay, let's come back to this later. And then, um, (laughs) and then I said, okay, so 
I need some creative prompts here. Like it's not yeah. it's not the kind of game where you can go, okay, you're a you're a cleric, blah, 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 blah. Like that's not, I mean, you, you can get to that later, but like initially, if you're just trying to write two people from your world who are gonna go on two dates, what is it about them that that's gonna hook you as a player? What is it about them that's gonna create some drama that creates a, a narrative line and you know, movement change and internal change and things like that? And so I started really simply with um, what's their favorite color. You'd pick mm. the favorite color for each of the characters. And then each of you helps the other person do some free association off that color. And then you use that as this field of ideas that can help you sort of just say, you know, like green, oh, trees and nature. All right, maybe maybe they like to hike, you know, maybe that's their their hobby that they like to hike. And maybe that's how these two met. They met on a trail on a mountain or something. So that's sort of a kind of, you know, seems like a common writing um, exercise technique where you might just have some kind of uh, free association that gets your juices um, going. And then, and then within, yeah, as you make the character, then you, you, you figure out for each of the characters, as you make them, you say, um, what is it right now that's making it maybe challenging for them to date anybody, not this other person, just anybody, you know, maybe they just broke up, maybe they have some issues, maybe they're, they lost their job. And so they're just feeling challenged in general. So just something but then you can also bring that to the table. So you've got who they are, what's what's challenging them. And then you bring them together. And then when I tried, you know, play testing it, someone else was like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, I can see where this is. I can see what a character might be. Wow. Now we're going to try and figure out how these two mesh or don't mesh. And the dice are going to give us like grist for that mill. And it worked. But, you know, like just coming to the table, like give me a character that's going to go on three days. No, <laughs> I need some help here. And so things that like, one might use if you're writing a story about two characters, for me, felt like natural things to bring in to help the players create character for, for play. Well, I mean, when yeah, you yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I just going to say when you started, it's like I, I created a role playing game based on a bunch of first dates. And I'm like, well, that sounds almost as bad as real life. But now that you <laughs> now that you explained it, I mean, that's it. It sounds I mean, it goes back to the lit RPG thing, doesn't it? It just sounds very like almost literary criticism, which is funny because, like you said, you know, that's not actually your or it wasn't actually your background. Um, yeah, that that's that's really cool. I mean, it's obviously applicable to anything someone would want to write or design because presumably it's a similar thought process, right? Just in a different context. Exactly, exactly. And I, I someday will write more about this, but I feel very strongly that game design is narrative analysis, that that is what we're doing when okay. we sit down and think about, like a lot of games are inspired by, you know, a movie or a series or, yep. you know, like when you think about, you two were talking about playing the Star Trek role-playing game. Or, mm-hmm. Then somebody had to think about how mm-hmm. does it function? What are the characters? What are their relationships? How are they in the world? What are we representing? How do they relate? Yes, and then, yes. and there's different paradigms, right? Of using dice and stats and skills and attributes and you know the 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 in the many role-playing games the the way that you interact is about conflict mostly physical conflict and these days there's a lot more that embrace social conflict or internal elements 
And then there's many, many, many games. I don't know if, if you guys have crossed a lot of the, the lyric role-playing games sort of no. flowering that's happened on itch.io. There's a there's an article about it. I can give it to you. It's from a couple yeah, of years please. ago. Yes. Really fun yeah. stuff. And that is really great because that's like, you know, like poetry, you know, taking the idea of playing a character and saying, well, that's just one part. That's a tip of the iceberg of what we can do. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of people now thinking just about what's what's the experience we want. And that mm -hmm. goes far beyond, you know, uh, certain types of conflict that involve swords that may or may not involve yeah. swords <laughs> yeah okay i i have to add, i want to come back to this but i have to ask because we're heading in such an interesting direction here you mentioned this and i know it's in your bio or, or well it's in your wikipedia bio i don't know if that's legit or not but but we'll go with this um you, you mentioned you're a forester and conservationist and <laughs> that's not inherently related to rpg design um, it is perhaps arguably tangentially related to, um, you know, social theory and other th stuff from college. How did you end up in forestry? Yeah. Huh. Well, let's see. So I studied economics and social theory in college because yeah. I wanted to know about society and how it worked and people and all that kind of fun stuff. And then I got to the end of my degree program. And I said, oh, okay, what do I do now? Uh, and he didn't have an answer. So I kind of struggled and got, you know, had like, you know, the three jobs that you get when you get out of college sure, and yeah. you like still live with lots of friends. And, um, and then some time later, mm -hmm. I thought, okay, I just, I'm, I'm living, but I don't have a direction. Yeah. Uh, what what was important to me when I was young? What what is important to me now? Yeah. And where I lived was an old farm community that still was along a river and had a lot of wooded space. I spent mm. so much of my childhood outside, as we many of us of my age are were able to for a variety oh. of social reasons at the time. I latchkey kid coming home. Yeah, is there somebody home? I don't know. I don't care. Me and my dog will be outside. Um, <laughs> And um, so that was, those were formative years for me. And I thought, yeah. well, let's see, is there something I could do with that? And I looked into it and forestry is a job. Uh, you could get a degree. At the time, the generational shift was said to be coming so that there'd be a lot of people oh, leaving yeah. that field. So there'd be positions opening. And so I studied um, and the, the, the advisor I had at the time who's now passed on, but he was a really, really wonderful uh, communicator and educator. Um, his deal was connecting people with the forest and nice. helping people learn about, you know, the science of it and the good management of it and how it fits into your life. And I, today trees are on the horizon of everybody. Climate yeah. change has made it like number yeah. one, but through my career trees have not been at all. You know, you're yeah. definitely, I've gotten some weird looks when I've been like, looking out you know looking out the window as i'm traveling i'm like oh you're deciduous here and i'm like and people you're looking at the trees why um so it's really interesting to be at a, a, a time in history now where trees are so central yeah. to many people's thoughts about the future um it's challenging it's good but you know so uh for me role-playing games were always something i loved to do with my friends. It's something I've, you know, done most of my adult life. 
And when I learned I could write them too, I was just all over it. It was delightful. And for me, it's very much an art form that mm-hmm. I love to engage in. And it uh, is something that I've done professionally. You know, I've been paid to write. I, I mm-hmm. publish, I, I, you know, sell my games, but it's never been something that I personally have been able to live on. Right. And for me also, uh, you know, I, the things I was describing before, what I'm drawn to is not the mainstream of gaming. Yeah. So being uh that that's always been fine with me i like being at the edges because that's what i'm interested in and it's totally fine with me if other people aren't interested in what i'm interested in that's totally cool um and so that wasn't something i could make a career out of and so uh, it felt great to have a, a career or you know a job path that dealt with the environment that i felt passionately about that i could feel good about getting up in the morning and working eight hours to, to try and help conserve land and keep yeah, our yeah. world green that's awesome and so it, it's a nice balance for me so i'm curious what you think okay maybe i'm taking an artistic license here but but since you started i'm curious like kind of putting those two worlds together which obviously you do in just like the past year ish i've started reading more like solar punk and mm. the, right and there's there's this stuff coming out now in the rpg world on i'm trying to think mm. if it was an I don't know if it was in Polygon or where, but it was a fairly large venue and it was on Hope Punk, right? And these games that are coming out that are are like very much responding to the dystopian themes that seem to have, have really been with us for the past decade in a lot of both large and indie games. And I just, I can't help but listen to what you're saying in terms of RPGs uh, be, being, you know, game design being narrative analysis, and then the importance of forestry and the environment and nature. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and um, I, sorry, I should tell everybody who doesn't have video who's listening to us that I'm commenting on the, the chat box there. But, um, but I'm curious what you think about just that it seems maybe there's a shift in the landscape, no, no pun intended, but that that maybe RPGs as an industry are going to shift to becoming in what I would what I would call and have in the past is bright green, right? More mm. technologically uh, savvy, more inclusive, more aware, more seen as a, as an like like um what is it um Coyote and Crow is that the one I get the names wrong all the time, um it's mm. the the it's it's made some waves I don't have it but it's the um Native American themed RPG um, it's absolutely gorgeous it's like a it's like a hope punk science fantasy but again it has a very deep nature theme and it sounds like maybe this stuff is coming i just would love to pick your brain about that idea yeah i think that's wonderful i hadn't seen that article before but i searched for it and put the link in the you the, found the it chat and i will read it um and it's i i think that something that is great uh, that's a wonderful trend is that there are more people at the table now there are mm-hmm more people uh, interested in role-playing games across the board. Like we're in an utter flowering of interest in this field, like never before. More, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. people play or have heard about role-playing games than ever in in history. Um, And that's great. And also it's not just white guys. So that's good too. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of people all across the planet and in each country. and it's amazing to have indigenous voices and first nations yeah. speaking and, and, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of 
really horrible history <laughs> that we're all working mm-hmm. with and struggling mm-hmm. with and trying yeah. many of us to to move away from and to to forge new directions so how awesome is it to have role-playing games be part of that and here let's get back to the 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 role-playing games as literature when i you wrote that in your email to me when you asked if you wanted yeah. to talk with you. And mm-hmm. I was like, yes, I do want to yeah, talk please. about that. Um, and um, and for me, I was thinking about a few different ways to take that. Like, are we talking about role-playing games that deal with literature? Those are awesome. That's wonderful. I have a friend who wrote one that's basically playing out Sense and Sensibility. It's a wonderful, really moving. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's called Growing Up. Uh, I'll put a link in the chat. Um yeah. Uh, and Anna Vesterling, a Swedish um, game right, wrote that some time ago now. Um, and I've written a, a LARP about Jane Austen interweaving her life and several of her novels so that you can, you know, sort of see them in parallel. And, um, and so there's just literature stories are a wonderful realm. Oh, and The Good Society is another fantastic relatively recent game that also um, deals with Jane Austen and that that mm-hmm. ilk, that period and, and setting. And so it's it's really ripe for um, being able to immerse yourself and to learn about and to play and enjoy yourself and have the fields of interaction be different kinds of conflict. You know, that's social and class right. and uh, hope, right? right? And yes. frustration and, um, you know, your your lifelong uh, path and the, the choices and the, the the things you have to give up in order to do that sometimes to, to succeed or to survive. Um, so that's one way to look at it <laughs> and then also some of the things that you and i were you you folks and i were chatting about before we you hit record we're thinking about the books that we have and reading them as literature as something to read not just a textbook not just a manual although they are i think role-playing games are kind of a fascinating hybrid of so many yeah. different things you know they they can be poetry they can be uh uh like a, a user's manual um the index is such a critical piece um <laughs> and yet yeah. many don't have them or have terrible ones or, or you know like it's like we're um it can be a piece of poetic inspiration for your play yeah. you know it's like the eddas with these vast epic sagas that we we play out um and then, you know, another way to think about it is um, that using literature as a sort of metaphor, you know, it's yep. literature can be, you think yeah. about written literature, but then there's also poetry that you speak or mm-hmm. there's storytelling. And then for me, role-playing games really sit within the, the field of narrative experiences. And that's vast mm-hmm. and broad. And in each society, there are many ways that that comes about. It could be shadow puppets. It could be spoken uh, poetry or or epic that's never written down. That has to be yeah, yeah. passed from word, you know, mouth to mouth. You know, from one person's mouth to another person's ears, and then passed down. And uh, you know, you you hear about um, storytelling of the Homeric uh, epics where you would just have people tell them yeah. over how many hours and take turns giving each piece or um and and i like i like going back to the greek because there's a few metaphors or there's a few frameworks there that i think are really neat like the the muses right the Mm -hmm. nine muses is what we think of from a certain period and 
each of them represents different types of art or science. And I, I, I went the first time I learned what the, what they actually are for, I was kind of stunned because I always sort of thought, oh, well, there'd be like a, a muse for writing or stories, but there's, there's a muse for epic poetry. There's a muse for theater and arts. There's a muse for erotic poetry. Like they're different muses for different kinds of narrative. Um, right. And also there's muses for science, you know, or Urania's mm -hmm. for like astrology or the stars. Yeah. And so for me, I like thinking of the, the, those different um, personifications of art to help sort of think about the ways that our society has many different storytelling forms yeah, and each of them have so much potential and many of them sort of take the central uh, place in our society. Like film is huge. Like that's one of the most powerful storytelling um, mediums of our time. Yeah. And novels are, you know, very well entrenched and um, television is another related medium, but also mm -hmm. has its mm -hmm. own particulars. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's the little nobody in the corner that's role-playing games. <laughs> that gets forgotten or isn't known about, or it's weird, or yeah. why would you want to do that? Or what is it? What I've had this conversation so many times. What what do you do? What what exactly like, okay, so you sit down at a table and then you talk? What mm. what do you talk about? And it's very hard to put into words what you do. But it is sort of like, um, uh, I'm sure I've made this, uh, this comparison before, but it's like music, right? You can go to a symphony and you can listen to a concert right. and there's trained professionals and you, mm -hmm. or you can have a recorded uh, album of some sort and it's beautiful. Or you can sit down with somebody and they're on the piano and you've got your guitar and your, you know, or your violin and you're just jamming together. And that's what we're doing when we play role-playing games. We're right. jamming together and we're making oh, that's stories together. That's actually a great analogy. <laughs> I got to say, this is, this conversation a little bit is blowing my mind. I mean, we've talked with some really, <laughs> I mean it, we've talked with some really interesting people, but, but I don't think I've ever been forced or invited to just look at the whole idea from really a fresh perspective. This is pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yay. <laughs> yeah, so no, keep no, going. This, I didn't mean to cut yeah, you. Yeah. This is this <laughs> is <laughs> fascinating. This is this is exactly the direction we kind of yeah. so you were kind of saying what what did you know when it came to RPGs and literature, you know, for us it's all the above. You know, whether yeah. it's a sense and sensibility or whether like you're talking about as an artistic medium or a uh narrate, you know, a means of of narration and, and history and all that you know it can it can go in so many different places and i think all of them are important in terms of being part of the discussion um you know it's you know it's something i mean it can be like you said something as simple as you know when you're designing a game are you designing it with the idea like you said is it a, and, and there's no wrong answer here it's just are you designing it like a manual or are you designing it like in effect a novel um that has the rpg and understanding the gaming components into it is it a hybrid whatever the case may be and where are you taking this kind of where are you taking your inspiration from you know for it so exactly exactly yeah yeah this, yeah. No, this notion of shared storytelling across all of these different media rpgs being one of them right um 
And, and that's the jamming I love, especially since Brad's been playing with guitar and I've been playing poorly with piano. That just that no pun intended. Ah. That that really resonates. But okay, so this is maybe this is cheating a bit, but like as you're as you're talking about this, Emily, and and blowing our minds. So I think back to um when my daughters, my girls were little like um like um elementary yeah. school age, right? Totally. Where <clears throat> where it was much easier to impress them. uh right like like and it was like these were much like this is a good idea let's try it and there wasn't a lot of screening or vetting um at least to try it once and you brad's got teen you know uh, you got yep. a teen and a young adult um but i think so every every um so nature is very very significant for me both personally mm -hmm. and and professionally and and every year my family and i with my wife's parents go up uh to the gunflint trail up by the bwca and and just and just, and just just yeah. for for those that are listening and for me bwc oh, boundary sorry waters. boundary waters canoe area it's okay. the the um it is the well so for emily it is the largest designated wilderness in the forest service um it is oh. also the original designated wilderness in the national wilderness system mm -hmm. um it's it's just it's an amazing amazing place but i bring i, I mentioned this because I mean, years ago, like we go up every year, but yeah. years ago, um, I had found, I don't remember who, and I, I feel badly, I don't remember who the um, who the company was who came up with this new idea. It was clearly like like some individual, a smaller concern, but they're essentially story dice. And there are a number of these, yeah. but these were, you don't talk about, these were, mm -hmm. like if you went to like a really good game store, and I don't mean an RPG store, I mean like a little game store, like with board games yeah. and whatnot. Um, largely for kids so you could get these packs and um they were like story cubes and so they were like dice but each side had an icon right very mm -hmm. congruent with what we're talking about mm -hmm. and <clears throat> of course i got a little carried away so i picked up the sci-fi one i picked up the fancy fantasy one <laughs> those never sold as well the girls were growing out but the one time we went up with the original ones and my um my in-laws often would like to actually to your point exactly emily they'd want to uh, one like one or two nights we'd sit in a circle obligatorily it was and we would generate a story and it was pretty mm -hmm. silly but <clears throat> one time i tried that with the girls where we were up there just with these dice and right so you had a bit of a randomization element yeah and and it was th that's what comes to mind right it was just this silly super simple mechanic Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it allowed for that shared storytelling and the narrative was, you know, powerfully affected by whatever was on the mind of the individual, be they 70 or seven. Um, exactly. And the goal was, okay, you have a start and you have a finish. And mm -hmm. anything in the middle is fair game. That's awesome. It was pretty cool. Yeah. It, I mean, it didn't do it a whole bunch of times, but it was, it was very akin to what you've been, been describing for us of, of there was that deep narrative element, but, but, and it wasn't even necessarily performative. It was just, we were telling a story and we didn't know where we were jamming, right? You didn't right. know where it was going to go. Exactly. Yeah. No. And I think that's, that's one of the things that excites me the most about role-playing games is that you're writing rules that help people tell stories together. Yeah. And that's yes. pretty yes, yes, incredible. Yes. That's really incredible. incredible. Storytelling is a real art and there's amazing storytellers out there. In fact, right now we're in the middle of the, the WGA strike that's going on. Yes. Because there's structural inequities that are stripping people of yeah. their, um, you know, historically uh, 
copyright protected mm-hmm. rights yes to mm-hmm. be paid for the work that they're doing mm-hmm. and the new technologies that we yeah. have streaming platforms and just different agreements that are being made are taking away those rights yeah so it's a really important struggle that's going on and you know that seems like a far distance from the campsite but it's not, it's <laughs> you not. Know? there was just that article there was just mm. uh uh, the WGA had a post. I think I saw it out. Maybe I saw it through Twitter, but Probably, yeah. about the introduction to of not to take it in a weird direction, the introduction of AI. And, no, that's but yeah, that's yeah. that's real. I mean, that you bears know, on everything yeah. you just said, Emily. I mean, my God, yeah. yeah. You know, Absolutely. AI as a means of of content creation. And don't get me wrong, I've been out on Chat GPT and I've played around <laughs> and all that in a humorous Jason Laskus. <laughs> For for like two weeks, Emily, I would just get texts <laughs> from Brad. He was so deep into this. He of uh, and they were fascinating and a little frightening. Of oh, it would be like I asked you know I asked ChatGPT to um, create an adventure for yeah. blah blah blah, and he'd paste it, and it's like, well, this is playable, but yeah. but if but of course, I mean, if you know, for anyone who knows anything about how that works. The, the mechanics, no pun intended, of chat GPT, right, that's the quality, the strength of that is second, the programming, and first, it's the data set, it's the, yeah. right, it's what has gone into it, what, the, what, what databases, yeah. is it Wikipedia, is it novels, right, it can only, yeah. it could only make an adventure for Star Trek Adventures for Brad and me, because it could access that material, which does bring us right back to the WJ writer strike, because again, we're talking about f- ultimately this all rests on the creativity of these really creative humans. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think when we write role playing games and when we write anything and when we play role playing games, we're also relying on that bank of knowledge and creativity yes. that we've experienced. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But you know, we're acknowledging it or we're, we're adding our own creative spark to it. And there's, um, you know, there's a person involved and we haven't quite yet reached the point in our, uh, you know, epic journey towards the cybernetic future of cyberpunk where the robots have citizenship. Um, we'll get there eventually, I'm sure. Yep. But right now we're still in this place where chat GPT basically is strip mining other yes, people's creativity right. yeah right. absolutely that's yeah. exactly it yeah so yeah you know and then we have the situation where literal humans who created things like i don't know if either of you've seen the show abbott elementary it's Mm-mm. a it's a fantastic one of the best shows i've ever seen and it's a network show oh. crazy that <laughs> and it's about teachers <laughs> teaching in an elementary school uh, and it's a, a primarily black school. And so they are doing an amazing job working with all of the limitations yeah. that that entails. It's teaching in our society and, and dealing with racism and structural inequalities. So, and it's so funny and so, so, so touching, like really yeah. human. It's just one of the, just a really, really great show. And, you know, I've read interviews with some of the writers who are saying, yeah, we, we got, we are getting very little to nothing for this incredible work and that's actually like kind of what happens to artists and a network show yeah a network show wow yeah not even a platform not even a streaming platform but it's a network show so speaking of really really creative and important you know reflections of what's going on wonder if you'll tell us a little bit about 
black and green games. Oh, sure. Maybe, <laughs> maybe start, well, I would, we would love to know, but especially starting with the name, it's ah. got to mean something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, people don't ask about that very often. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I really, um, the, the, the forest and nature is very important to me. Yeah. Um, I grew up around a lot of trees. Um, black and green are, are colors of trees. You often mm -hmm. see that the bark is black and the leaves are green. So to me, it just sort of fits well. And the image that I chose as my sort of logo is a crow and um, with a green background. And um, I have a crow tattoo. I have a oak leaf tattoo. They're meaningful to me. And mm -hmm. Um, and so I think for me, it sort of is about those as symbols of, of creativity in life. And, um, and it's just, you know, when I, when you name a game or you name a company, it's good to find something that you like and you're comfortable with. And then it just becomes background, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. either it means something or it doesn't, sure. but, um, so yeah, so that's where it came from for me. So, so tell us about, about the company though. I mean, so um, let's see, back in those 2000s that I talked about before, when I was part of this gaming community that was talking about writing games and playing and, and really pushing and helping each other to publish. And also, and part of the reason why that conversation happened at that time was because there were technological um, things available that hadn't been before. Print on demand was becoming accessible yes. to yep. individuals yep. in a way that it hadn't been before before you really really in order to print things at any kind of scale you had to go whole hog and so you have stories about people putting a mortgage on their house to get ten thousand copies of a gaming you know a game text that then doesn't sell and you're like boxes of role-playing games sitting in your basement and you're underwater on your mortgage like that's oh a God. nightmare scenario that has happened to at least someone <laughs> And yeah, so that it's terrible. You shouldn't don't do that. No. Don't do that, kids. Don't do that at home. Not even with adult supervision, especially not <laughs> adult supervision. Uh, <laughs> um, much better to make a nice, lovely PDF and yeah. put it out there and sell it or not. You know, it's not going to break yeah. the bank. It's not going to like sit in your attic. Um, yeah. And so we were able to do that. That's that's PDFs became something yeah. that you could make and, Absolutely. and it was possible to get like the creative suite and, you know, do your yep. own layout yep. or work with a friend who didn't, had some knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's when I got involved and um, threw up a little website and, you know, worked on that breaking the ice game where you played people were going on a date and people were kind enough to play it. So I got a lot of play testing in various places and I brought it. I brought my little game book to Gen Con and I was at the Forge booth and we put it wow. there and, and I sold some, you know, That's it wasn't cool. like millions, but yeah. people liked it. And um, um, Ken Height uh, was kind enough to write about it in a, in a uh, article that he had at that time. And, and so it, it just, I was very lucky to be able to get a little bit of interest in what I was doing. So it made sense to keep doing it. And, um, and I have met a lot of people and have learned so much over the years and um it's been really a wonderful sort of experience for me. That that that's just that's really neat. And I mean it, it it's so fitting. I mean not just the I mean we're all of a certain age here, give or take a couple and so you know you think back to like the the aughts versus now in the twenties, right? And this this has just the whole printing publishing 
writing industry uh, across fields for good and bad, right? Good, bad, mm -hmm. and ugly, all of it. There's been so much change, but the but on the good side, as you've said, I think the ability for writers, for publishers, for for creatives to get their work out, courtesy of the technology. Like like I'm an inveterate uh, physical book person. Right. Mm -hmm. It, it, I've, I've tried it. Brad, Brad knows this. I mean, you're very much the same, I think, Brad, but, but I just, mm -hmm. I've tried digital this or that and I love it, but it's not real to me until I can have that visceral physical interaction. If I can't smell the print, <laughs> it's not there for me yet. Right. And the paper, but the fact is the market for PDFs and whatnot is so much larger than that. And especially when the, uh, just like you said, you know, you maybe you're not mm -hmm. dialing in from your third house all because of your game, <laughs> you know, royalties. Yeah, but, but, but also the flip side of that is because of work that you do, the way you do it and others, so many people can access it. I mean, yeah. think of all yeah. the people who, who either aren't sure if they want to commit to a new mm -hmm. game, a new system, or more emphatically, who can't justify dropping $50, $60 on a core rule book they might enjoy reading but might never play. And with PDF, I mean, you, know, you started us here earlier this evening when we were chatting about just the ability of, of the RPG land to be increasingly beautifully inclusive. Part mm -hmm. of it is the PDF shift. Don't you yeah. think that, that people can get there now? And it, and I mean, and so many people are even putting things out there for free, especially when they're mm -hmm. new of just, yeah. Hey, just for my joy, play my game, try my adventure for your joy. We'll tell the story together, even if we never meet. Exactly. There's a really wonderful uh, practice in the itch.io um, RPG community where people have community games yeah. or community copies. That's what it is. Uh -huh. So they'll sell their game. But they'll say, and here's 10 copies that you, nice. you know, people can get for free Yeah. and go ahead. And then sometimes I think people say, if I sell X number, then I'll have 10 more free copies. That's and it, awesome. it's just this nice balance oh, between cool. really honoring yeah. the fact that, yes. yeah, no, who can pay $50 over and over again on games or, or ever and, um, and wanting to be able to share that experience and, and be honored for your work as a creator, you know, yes. um, that that it, it's it's kind of a beautiful thing yeah it really is i think you it, it's something you bring up too that we haven't really talked about is it's just this idea we've talked about different delivery medium itch.io is one of those growing ones as well yeah um, mm -hmm. i've been out there for other content and i've and i've gone through and looked at i'm the type that will pick up a pdf and if it's not 400 pages i'll actually i'll actually send it to fedex and have them wire <laughs> bind, you know or, or spiral bind it um, which reminds really? me before we wrap up, it was just, you were, we were talking about literature. I picked up, there's a book that recently came out called the solo game master about mm. playing games solo and even, um, Lord that of the was Rings. Out, so that's, that's published by fate, right? Uh, no, by Modiphius. Um, oh, that's the Modiphius one. Yep. Yeah. The solo game master mm -hmm. guy and like free league who does a publishing that does the new one ring. They came out with what's called the strider rule set for solo yeah. role play mm -hmm. and i haven't had really a lot of time like jason said um we haven't had a lot of time to game but one of the things i did pick up was in effect you know just like a moleskin notebook and mm -hmm. play the game using those rules and in effect what is the result you're writing a story in that environment right yeah. right it's in effect short stories that are generated by your own gameplay maybe using the dice 
or what other mechanic is, but there's another way of, of doing it. And I'm seeing an increase and I, I've seen it out on HIO, which I'm glad you brought it up. That's what made me think of it is people are now even producing those stories as content. They're writing the game and then they're writing these stories yeah. and there's the literature. You could see the story and you could see the, the mechanic and the engine behind it. So, yeah. Hey, thank you so much for coming. This idea of we'll have to have you back again. Oh, if you please. Want. I'd love because, to. That'd be great to talk more. Oh, yeah. thank you. It's mind blown. Seriously, this is this is so. And, and I mean, I yeah, I'll just stop. This is so cool. Yeah. I I just thought it, it it made my night when you started talking about it, and then it made my night again when you got Jason to not talk. Because I could just, I could just see on his jokes aside, I, I know I've known him for a long time. And when he literally is processing something that is profound to him, I can see it in his face. And that's what I saw. And I, and obviously I never see it when I talk to him. I was going to say, it's why I keep, you beat me to it. It's why I keep interrupting Brad. Yeah. So he never, so that's why I never see it. So just to see that tonight and to see him, to see him. No, with but that I, face, I mean, it because you know. we, we really, uh, I mean, this isn't fan service at all. We really appreciate it, Emily. Brad and I have been talking at the fringes because of our own ignorance, but still some passion here about this. Um, and, you know, you offering this little masterclass on, well, you have, you thought about it this way. It, I mean, <laughs> but, but truly thank you because this will in the coming months manifest in more episodes because awesome. of what you've given us. This is just really, really, really neat. We would love to talk to you in the future. Um, man, sure. just so interesting. I highly recommend reading. I think I sent you the link for the 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 one the article from yes, a couple of years you. ago talking about lyric role playing games. And itch.io is just full of wonderful, wonderful games. Um, many, many solo games, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and I've had that experience too, where I played one by a good friend, um, Alexa Faye McDaniel, called Strange Changeling Child. And I played it, and I just found myself, yeah, writing. And it felt like there's the story That's of this character cool. coming out. So I'm I'm really glad you asked the question and all, I'm thrilled that it's open you know made you have some new thoughts and i'd love oh, to talk yeah. again brad that was such an interesting discussion we had yeah. with with emily two things uh to address right out of the gate as it were first of all we apologize for the suspicious audio quality uh not up to our normal standards specifically i'm referring to the shall we call them duck farts coming from brad's side of the recording you how he, many times how many times have you edited out some of my shenanigans in our well in that's our, what but, they sound like uh, yes, you're, 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 gonna, you're gonna let you're gonna let that pass i but you're not going to let Air Biscuit pass. Air Biscuit I, did not pass muster for you at one point in the past. But there was no away. muster involved. Anyways, we will be more cognizant of that going forward. Uh, going back to this, this just really intriguing uh, chat with Emily Care Boss. Um, I want to, I want to single out something she said, uh, and I just, I thought this was the neatest thing that game design, game design, is a form of narrative analysis yeah. discuss yeah i mean i don't even i wouldn't even until that came up in the conversation yeah i will i will plead extraordinary ignorance because it never um 
that never just came up on the radar. I never processed that way. No, know? no. And that was one of those, that was one of those points in our chat with Emily where I, it was like, wait, hold on a second. What? This is a new, this is interesting. Um, but think, let's talk about that game design as narrative analysis. I, I really, really, really love this concept of, of it's one thing to say, like we've been talking amongst the two, just not on air, but with the two of us for, as you said, for some time that RPGs make for fascinating literature, potentially. Um, but Emily's observation that there's more to it, that the actual mechanics allow for narrative analysis, that the actual mechanics play a fundamental narrative role in how we understand the world, the story, etc. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, with, for example, the Genesis narrative dice system, still my favorite. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's in the name. It's a narrative dice system. But you don't, I, I never thought of that still as like narratively analytical. Right. And it's still something I'm, I'm, I know you're, you're, you're squinting and pondering and, and I'm kind of doing the same thing. I, I'm yeah, cause this is not something we have, we did not have this discussion or prep this beforehand. So as we're talking, no, the, no. the wheels are churning. So. Yeah. And, and I love that. Uh, but mm -hmm. this notion of, you know, so, you know, once in a while I teach courses in qualitative analysis and always, I always have to at least touch upon narrative analysis, but, but from a, from a, a research non-literary standpoint of, okay, people are going to tell you, subjects will tell you stories about their experiences, and you try to draw information from that. But, but this, I, I think back to the, think back to the English faculty with whom I worked better than a decade ago, and there, there are a number of them I would just Oh, I can think of one just lovely guy. I, I would so like to pick his brain. Like, what do you think about this? Cause he was all into Stephen King. That was a scholarship and like, he'd be all over this. Um, yeah. but you know, talk about a series of books that would lend themselves to role-playing. Um, oh. but, but, but just near game design, game design mechanics, all is narrative analysis. I, I can't even fully explain it, which I find very provocative. It's just, just very cool. Well, I think, and, and you bring it, we, you, um, you can hear me, right? I was there was just a weird noise that popped up. So to, to quote Homer Simpson, just because I don't care or look like I wasn't listening doesn't mean I don't I mean, understand. I don't understand. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm giving you I'm giving you a a, a one finger wave. Yeah. yeah a, a, That's why we're audio Jason, people. Jason, you are number one. Um and I'm flattered. Um the idea of this never crossed my mind. I think something too that was interesting that that didn't that really caught my attention and it and it's a very specific specific well not enough you got it today. you're good um the idea of using RPGs to create lit um yeah and yeah and I, I've looked at this idea and we'll talk about I'll talk about some of my the latest updates with my game stuff in the GM corner excellent but. Um, this idea of potentially solo playing some of these gaming systems that are designed that can work in a solo environment yeah. and creating and writing stories using the mechanic. So it's not directly related to as RPG as lit, but that came up in the, in the discussion 
and using the RPG as a creative mechanism. And it, okay, so it's funny you say that because I was just doing what all good researchers do in 2023, and I googled it. Yes. Um, and and that took me actually to um to one of the journal sites, and and just exactly what you said of narrative analysis in this arena being an attempt to form a cohesive story yeah. around the bits and pieces. And that's just another way of what, uh, just another way of putting what you just said. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a much more eloquent way of indicating it. It's just, it, to me, it's fascinating. And it's something you and I, we've talked, yeah. there's a lot of stuff we obviously talk about because we talk so regularly. Um, you know, we have more time to game now. Um mm-hmm. I, we are focusing kind of right now within two arenas. We're focusing with the STA and we're focusing yep. within the age mechanic. Yep. Um, those are the two that are on our radar. Yep. Um, that allows us to dive deeper because now we have the time. But just, I'll be honest with you, we've done it with the age mechanic. It's really good for that. Oh, and with the 2D20 and the and the modifious 2D20 mechanic. Yeah having played now a couple episodes of you GMing our first Star Trek adventure. Yep. It played out. I think one of the things we both said at different points, this played out like an episode. It read and played out like whether you were reading a novel or whether you were watching an episode of one of the shows. And so, so, so let's, let's, as we typically do, let's, let's, you know, cross the fourth wall for a sec about that. So we, we had a sesh zero together to just kind of set up, set up your PC um, with me kind of leaning over your digital shoulder, just so that we could both kind of see how that felt for the system. And, and we should, we should qualify when we are playing right now, we are playing with the idea that we are learning. It's a sandbox experience. Exactly. And so we've had three sessions, one short adventure and we're using one of the starter adventures from modifius and yeah. and there like you said we we got through that and small bites intentionally mm-hmm. and it did it felt like we were in an episode of trek it felt like we were um in an episode somewhere between tng and picard right because yeah. it was a tng era that that then then we homebrewed a bit for picard well let's just say you you did a really good job well, of homebrewing and in effect tweaking it to work within the timeline that yeah we right to play. yeah no thanks but but mm-hmm. we didn't have to do much because it's so well written and and that's exactly what emily i think was talking about and so now now our next our next time we play we're gonna play well you know what i'll keep that for the gm corner or uh, that's something worth talking about i won't get yeah, into that. i i think point being though is yeah. i think this idea what one of the things that came out for me something very simplistic to me but profound was this idea of air quote rpg as lit that's almost that's too narrow yeah. a phrase to yeah. define what we really are talking about yeah Emily helped us get further. Yes, it's yeah. the intersection of literature and RPGs. That's that's much better. You know, mm-hmm. that's it, or mm-hmm. the intersection, or where they are, mm-hmm. where they run, yep. you know, tangentially close, or whatever the case both, may be. Both with the with the world building, 
as yeah. well as with the mechanics and game design, which we started getting into when we were chatting with Emily. But, you know, we kept wandering because there was so much to talk about. Oh, yeah. We we, we didn't get through probably oh, 30% yeah. of what we wanted, which is always the case when we have any of our guests on. That's why she has to come um, back. Yeah. And we always, yeah, and we always tell folks it's an organic conversation. was this this conversation we had this week with, with yeah. Emily just really coincided with some of the stuff I've been I've been working through yeah. from a from a gaming perspective because yeah. I'm still in the job hunt I have more time than possible more time than I've had in a long time yeah um and like I mentioned before I I had actually created as kind of a list of games that are are you know that we have very we, cool. You know, yeah. we're, we're, these are the ones that we are focusing on that we we are focusing on right now. And right now for us, the two main focus areas are the age system, modern age and and the expanse specifically yep. and the Star Trek Adventures with the idea that I'm waiting for um, second edition fantasy age to drop as well as yeah. uh, the fifth season RPG. That's still sitting out there too. remember. Are, um, you you pre-ordered that, didn't you? I did. I was. Yeah. I, it's a backer kit purchase, so I backed that one. Yeah. That is a good looking. Again, to you were saying earlier in terms of the aesthetics of some of these, that is a good looking rule. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but I like this idea of using RPG materials as to write or tell stories myself as a creative mechanism. Yeah. And so more in the coming weeks, but you're the one that introduced me or or showed me um the iron sworn yes sword forged i um, i was really system. i yeah i watched that i, I what it was um I don't remember was it a kickstarter there was something yeah, it yeah. was a kickstarter and um i just i just watched the whole thing and their little the little video they dropped i just found the whole world very compelling yeah so um i had some credit because at, at this at this point at this point since i'm we're, i'm in job hunting and all that i am not in any position where i can go and splurge on material but um but I was, you have purchased so much from a publisher that you had enough credit to buy a rule book out right oh i had more than a credit to buy more than one more than one rule book, I know. <laughs> um and a couple dice sets too oh my um, god that's right so um i ordered it through modifius as well as um, another set, but the one that came in um, that I've had, I don't think I've even talked to you about it. Maybe I have real briefly um, two of them and they come from free league or free league and free league publishing. Yep. Um, one is forbidden lanes, which is mm -hmm. a very kind of different take on, and it's really more, more low fantasy than high fantasy. And okay. it's kind of got like a darky grittiness to it, Yeah. but it, it lends itself to solo play or duet play. Oh, interesting. Um, as well as um, Tales from the Loop. Yeah, the that, I, I, the, the, the concept and the artwork intrigue me. Yeah, it's as a very, obviously, the 80s that never was. It has a very, yeah. it comes from a time period when we were kids. Very kind, um, kind of a Spielbergian yeah. feel, but not, not, not dystopian. Well, just... You know, people tend to say it's kind of like et meets the goonies meets stranger things it's kind of what yeah at least visually that makes sense it that's yeah, kind okay. of the vibe those are ones that have have and even the ring the free some of these free league games tend to 
lend themselves to kind of like some solo play. And so I've set that up amongst yeah. other things we're working on. It's not a real high priority for me, mm. um, but the creative juices were moving after our discussion. Nice. Nice. With Emily. And so I am eagerly awaiting uh, the domestic shipment of Iron Sworn um, to come in. But in the meantime, Wait, no, Iron Sword, no, Starforge. Sword, Starforge. Iron Sword, yeah. Starforge. Yeah, right. The next iteration. Yeah. Um, thank you. I, I, yep, same engine. Before. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so waiting for that to come in. But in the meantime, um, I have Forbidden Lands that I am. Nice. I'm yeah. We'll have to talk about that. Yeah. So these are, these are in the future. But, but our big focus has been playing through, like we talked about STA. And I'll, since we've doing that and you've been kind of leading, I'll pass that over to you because I think you, there mm. were a couple of things you wanted to mention with that amongst, other stuff that's been on your desk. Actually, I'm going to surprise you oh. and and just briefly address something that I haven't mentioned that is though very relevant to what, what you just said. The other night, uh, one of my daughters and I watched Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Yes, you mentioned you texted mm-hmm. me. I texted this. you a yes. few times. Um I will say uh I will say the quote. That is one pudgy dragon. You said you texted me. I know. Does uh, I? I thought I can't believe I just heard that in a movie. This is such a fun movie. Um, that really, that really <laughs> fits the movie. It was. Um, here's why I'm bringing this up. Obviously, it's D and D. It was. Uh, it was uh, produced by apparently the production company out of Hasbro. Yeah. Um, and what is it? E one. And um, it was it was really interesting. I felt badly for my daughter because I would explain things as we were watching. Oh boy! Um, exactly. But but here's okay. So here's why I'm bringing this up, though, Brad. Uh, and this is what I think you might really enjoy. So it really was D and D. Really was it? It really I... was D and D. So you have a fighter, a druid, a wizard a bard and a paladin you have i'll walk into a bar and exactly well that's not too far from true you have humans you have tieflings you have other things you you go to the underworld to the underdark and it looks inspired by the dritz novels oh uh the scenery is beautiful the locations are beautiful um and i won't uh, i don't want to say anything disparaging this was not lord of the rings i'll put it that way but it was neat that wasn't the that wasn't the wasn't the intent that's right not it was not the intent um it really felt like oh this is like a playable day-to-day world like oh like, like it happens it starts in icewind dale it occurs on oh. Faerun, right all of these things both mentioned and simply implied either through dialogue or visually so you know when when you know when your parent company owns the, the canon you can do this you can, um, you can play yeah. but but that was neat brad it was literally in forgotten realms dnd canon and it was cool and it was it was it was fun and cute it was just dark and heavy enough to keep 
adults interested um i would absolutely feel comfortable watching it with like a 10 or 12 year old there are only a couple of naughty words and they're not even the bad ones okay um um and you know you know me i'm a real stickler with that stuff well no no, Um, yeah i mean even even now my girls are in high school and it's still like like one of my daughters said hell the other day i'm like excuse me hey i have i i think i've told you not to digress too far i have never heard my children swear um yeah right and that right is not and and embarrassingly enough it's not for the lack of it is not them hearing it no from me no. Sure. but but um i i'm pretty comfortable saying i don't think either of them do it with their friends either i don't think it's in their language um yeah so so going back to that point is, yeah. is that i would expect no less from from your girls and you're much more eloquent with your with well, the verbal word than i am it's if I get if I get a profane word out of you, it's normally because you stubbed your toe really bad, I, you, or you got... I did something to really, really irritate you or humor you. Which, which the, yeah, the first is tends to be more prevalent. I don't prevalent. know. Well, like, like I, I, um, I did use some profanity the other evening when we were role playing, but that was very intentional for your benefit because yes. uh because the npc was taking after a character from Letterkenny. kenny yes <laughs> and i knew it would be appreciated anyways my point about the movie though is um it was really it was just fun it actually it i've never said this about a movie before it sounds super corny but it had heart like i had read sure. somewhere that this was like chris pine at his best where where he's got he's got a bit of depth um he's a shuckster but that's just the veneer yeah. um and he's not trying to be overly serious it, it really it it was just fun and like i think about like um like uh our friend aaron right my 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 friend and a colleague and like we still are planning on getting him into D. he's just been busy and yeah. like i could see prescribing this movie for him Hey, watch it. In fact, we were going to go to the theater and we just it couldn't we couldn't make it work. And so I streamed it. But um I could see prescribing this for someone who is new to D D and want to get in because it would just give you this like it was just cool. It was just like, oh, so Okay, let me ask you this. Yeah. It was just cool. Would either of our wives sit through the movie? In fact, mine made it 15, maybe 20 minutes because her phone got too boring. Oh, okay. So no, then, hard no. no. Okay, okay. No, that's okay. Our wives would not. But our, if ours are pretty similar in terms of yeah. their their yeah. interests in our activities related to this podcast that's and right. gaming in general. And, and so, in most things, really, yes. we do. But yeah. But um. But that's okay. Um. No, not it. Not at all. Uh. My older daughter was like, oh. She she couldn't help it. She stood for like five minutes, maybe closer to ten, behind the couch watching. And then it was finally, I'm going downstairs. <laughs> but oh um, but I think for anyone who who enjoys some fantasy, yeah, right. Or and it 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 was cute. And so I bring it up because again, akin to what you were saying in terms of. Uh, one ring and all those uh, the other you know the free league stuff and then iron uh, see now i'm doing it star forged um it it goes back to what we were chatting about with emily that the movie was constructed in a kind of a nice unassuming way where like you think about the stuff in forgotten realms where you've got 
all these different species and history and there's this deep history and they just played it off like this is literally just like walking down the street every day and no one bats an eye and that i thought was neat and relevant to you know this notion of narrative analysis and literature because it was just it was all background until it had to be foreground and then it was background again see i i am very behind i i was able to keep up with picard um but I am behind in a lot of other stuff. I really got into watching. I think it, there's kind of like this running undercurrent with us because we because of the show Letter Kenny. Yeah, you. Um, oh which my for God. which for many it is a it is a show written by um, Jerry Kizo, a Canadian, um, and it is about um, uh, rural northern Canada. Um, but it's a real dichotomy because it plays off as rural northern Canada, but very progressive. I bring that up because because oh, yep. yep. there's an undercurrent of our humor these days that plays off of it because there's a lot of yeah. cute, yeah. Uh, whether it's on TikTok or YouTube shorts, there's a lot of material that's viral. Yeah, I um, haven't even watched it. I think I've seen one actual episode, but between you and my own searches, I've seen so many clips. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and literally there is a real tinge of letter Kenny a real flavor of it in our Star Trek adventures, because if you ever watch it, my character's name is based off of Squirrely Dan and yep. the NPC. Is and then I gave you, a, yeah, yeah, I gave you an NPC who almost got killed. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Who? Yeah. 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 So, um, <laughs> but I'm going to, but that being said, it's, it's on, I'm going to have to watch it. I end up turning the TV off at night cause I read or yeah, um, I do our stuff and I'll be honest. I, I, got back into my star trek online account and i've been a little bit um yeah you have i know because I'll, i i'll get these random texts yeah and, and like it'll be like a screenshot or you're like i just got the so-and-so and it's like oh he's gone deep well well, well, the, well and what we did was is i used the game as a that vehicle was very cool to i actually went out and picked up a pathfinder class ship yep. which is the um the next generation version of the intrepid, which was what the Voyager was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and our ship in our star Trek universe is the USS superior trail. Yep. Beautiful. Based off of the name of the trail that we hike. you and your brother, um, regularly hike. I hiked one year before almost dying. <laughs> and that's another um, episode. <laughs> that's another whole other episode. Um, <laughs> So if you think I'm sometimes incoherent on here, get me dehydrated out in the middle yeah, that, of the trail. That was heat. specifically an episode of heat exhaustion, but go on. <laughs> oh yeah. That was, I think we were, I think we were approaching heat stroke at that we point. Were, well, um, by we, you, but yes, me, but yeah, yeah superior trails, the name of the ship. And yeah. I use Star Trek and you, online. You, and you put on the call number and everything. Yeah. And oh, I took, man. and I went into the bridge. I don't think I've sent those to you, but I took pictures no. of, because you can choose the bridge and everything like that. I oh, set yeah. the bridge up. Um, so the ship is all set in the game just as a vehicle so that I could take the pictures for us to use with Star Trek Adventures. And that is a testament to, you know, cool. folks that were involved. Think about it. Who are the folks that we've talked to? Thomas Maroney, Aaron Palea, oh, and you, all these folks that were. And, I mean, it, Thomas and Aaron, they're all over, especially Thomas. I mean, my God. Right, his work is now canon in Picard. Incredible. Yeah, I have an Odyssey class. I have a limited run. They called it a temporal Odyssey class cruiser, which yeah. is a 
cruiser that's fitted based off of a different timeline. I won't get into the specifics on it, but it is a cool looking ship. If you went out and looked at the Odyssey class and look how different it from the from a from a, a portrait mode, it looks like a normal traditional Star Trek ship. But the way it's constructed, if you look at it nose on, it's different. Um, but just how detailed they design these ships and the material. I have. Um, I have a Vengeance class ship. That's my primary ship, which is right. a, the Kelvin class ship right. from Marcus. Um, but yeah, I picked up the Superior well, Trail. You know, a way I think a, a way to close so that we can mm -hmm. lie to ourselves that we didn't drift at all in the GM corner. Yeah. The I I I, I often think about this actually, especially having watched watching Picard season three, uh, so recently, um, when Thomas Marone was with us, he talked about designing some of these ships and he talked about the thought process and it wasn't just designing shells he remember this he 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 would ask himself okay what's the inside look like what are the needs etc etc that's these ships are world building elements these oh. ships are absolutely narrative elements major Aaron, narrative Aaron elements. specifically talked about this yes as yes the ships right. as members of the crew Just, and yes. i'll post it out on twitter um i think dave blast posted it where because there's the story about you know the titan now the enterprise g sorry i've given it away if you haven't watched uh picard yep you know it's a yeah, it's time const, it's it's a constitution three class or what they call a neocon neocon yep it is the titan a and yep. everyone's like well the titan was not a um i think it was a lunar class i can't yes. remember I think it was Luna class yep. and they were like, well, how did it go from being a Luna class yep. as a refit to a constitution class? They look very different. Mm -hmm. And so they did some concept design. Where yeah. They showed the Luna ship below in a space dock, the new Titan being refit from the Titan. Yep. And they're using the materials. Yep. And in effect, the refit is like a rebuild using yep. the original Titan material. So it's just, they, they go into that type of depth mm -hmm. to show how, um those ships are crew yeah um and it's all about story yeah it's all about story so yeah all right it everybody was a great episode as always clearly we're rambling a little bit this evening but you know what <laughs> can't it, it's hard not to after that chat with emily it 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 has really got us thinking and days and days later we are still thinking about this oh yeah um, definitely more to come um and with that, we realize we say this just about every time, but we've got some more really interesting people, really fun conversations coming your way. As always, be well, stay well, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.